any of us who've been in it for long enough, our entire career has been littered with jobs that we didn't get, projects that we thought were going to go for sure, dozens of unproduced scripts littering the floor. All of us are running into both major and minor failures in Hollywood every single day. For every success, there is months, sometimes even years, of painful failure. This is one of the only businesses I can think of where failure is the default. That's the norm. You have to be able to persevere. Like everything in our business, your hands get callous and it all bounces off you. Uh, you know, that process takes years. That doesn't happen overnight. I was being told by my manager, it's yours to lose. And I promptly lost it. And I remember thinking like, well, that's it for me. I blew my one big shot. What I've realized from that moment is it's never one big shot. There will be other shots. Framing into the Hollywood Abyss is brought to you by Scriptation, the Emmy Award. It sounds awful when you say it. Let, Let somebody with a more charming accent do this bit. Screaming into the Hollywood Abyss is brought to you by Scriptation, the Emmy Award-winning app for anyone that reads scripts, makes notes, organise them into layers and save hours of time by automatically transferring those notes into new script revisions. Sitha listeners can get a free month of Scriptation by going to scriptation.com backslash Sitha. Now that's how you do it, Noah. Welcome back to Screaming Into the Hollywood Abyss, a podcast about rejection, failure and adversity in the entertainment industry. I am your non-entertainment co-host, Dan Rutstein. And I am in still in the in, in, entertainment industry co-host, Noah Ebsling. On today's Screaming Into the Hollywood Abyss, I'm excited to introduce TV writer, screenwriter, show creator, director, producer and showrunner, Brandon Braga. Brandon, Brandon has written on such shows as... Shows and movies as Star Trek Generations, Star Trek First Contact, Mission Impossible 2, Threshold 24, Terra Nova, The Orville, and others. He's also created the show Star Trek, Enterprise, Flash Forward, Salem, and most recently, The End is Nigh. Welcome, Brennan. Thank you. A, a smattering of failures in that list, appropriately. <laughs> so, But thanks for having me on. So um, a feature of our shows is uh, obviously Noah works in the industry and watches everything both from a sort of as a fan but also from a sort of professional point of view. I actually, for somebody who hosts a podcast about these things, don't actually watch as much television as you'd think uh, apart from sports. But I do – it's very rare this comes on, but one of – the Orville is um, one of my favourite shows. I find it absolutely oh. extraordinary. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate uh, that. I'll I'll pass that along to Seth. We we appreciate the fans of the show. Um, so you have a as Noah read out, and obviously that's not all of them. A remarkable list of of credits of some very big shows that have done incredibly well. But no one's career in Hollywood is that straightforward. So tell us about some of the probably early in your career where things were not going so so smoothly and where you hit either a complete wall or certainly a low point that made you question whether this is the industry for you? Um, Well, I never questioned whether 
this was the industry for me because I've dreamed of being a filmmaker from a very young age. Uh, but I dreamed of being in movies and, and making movies and television never occurred to me. And I applied for an internship with a really great program called the Academy of TV Arts and Sciences Internship Program. And they offer internships in all sorts of different categories uh, from makeup to wardrobe to uh, sound to uh, writing. And I applied for writing. I didn't really have an interest in TV writing per se. So I, I went into this internship uh, grateful for the summer job, uh, having just left college, not knowing what I was going to do, but kind of secretly thinking, I don't really know if this part of the industry is for me. Uh, TV's, uh, TV's crappy. Movies, movies are the real art form. And I, needless to say, didn't have any idea how television was made or what a writing staff was. And I learned very quickly that it might as well have been magic. I, I couldn't believe how they were coming up with ideas so quickly. Uh, I became enchanted by the whole process almost immediately. I was very lucky to have my internship be on Star Trek The Next Generation uh, between, between seasons three and four and um, at a really good time. So it was a, a good show, a good fit for me in that I like science fiction and I like the anthological storytelling aspects of the show. But even as I was marveling at the process, I was thinking to myself, I could never do this. It's just it, the, the difficulty level and pressure is so high. Um, and I was lucky in that I was given a chance to do it. At the end of my internship, I got a, a script assignment. It was a co-writing job with Ron Moore, a, a writer on the show at the time. And um, luckily, I was I had good collaborators. At what point did um, you? And 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 look, it was up and down. You know, I I always assumed when they hired me on staff. You know, I wrote a couple of good scripts, uh, and then my third script wasn't so good. And that was, uh, and and from that point forward, I just assumed any week now I'd be fired, um, and kind of lived from script to script. I I said to myself, I can't ever write a bad script again. Of course, I I've written many bad Star Trek scripts that got made, <laughs> but uh, but um, I'm not really answering your question except to say. I, I wasn't sure from the beginning that television was something I could do. I knew it was something I wanted to do once I saw it, but um, I was. It, it started off very as a very insecure time. At, at what point did you realize? As you say, it's a it's a difficult skill, and obviously you're you're young, and there's people in the room who are doing incredible things. At what point did you realize that actually it's a skill that you could master or indeed did master it was when i uh, co-wrote that first script and really kind of put pen to paper that i thought i can i can do this um and you know one of the most important things that i learned and appreciated about working in television is how collaborative the writing process is uh 
when writing staffs were in person, um, you know, the the in my mind, writers sat alone at the keyboard with a bottle of scotch and a pack of cigarettes and and a lot of despair. You know, it working with really smart, talented people who can help you and vice versa was uh, really a revelation. And it made me feel more secure moving forward that I wasn't in peril as much as I thought I was, you know. Does that fear, I mean, you talk about not, the feeling of not being so much in peril, but that fear, as you go up in your career, you talk, you know, early on, you talk about getting the fear of being fired. Does that ever go away as you go up higher or does the stakes just get higher? The stakes get higher. It never, I mean, I can only speak for myself. Um there was a you're always you you do gain confidence um and you you know when you're doing writing something that's working and not working so in that regard i guess the the fear subsides and uh but again it's it's all it's all about other people you know i i remember a crucial moment when uh one of my mentors a woman named jerry taylor who was one of the executive producers on uh, Next Generation? I had I was getting getting notes from her on a script, and she could see how nervous and scared I was. And she stopped, and she she said, "You are not in peril. We believe in you as a writer. You really you have real talent. You have a lot to learn, but we you're not in any danger here. This is normal." <laughs> to get notes and do all this stuff. And that had a huge impact on me. Um, and enough cannot be said about the importance of people helping you along the way. You know, nobody succeeds in a vacuum. You've got, you have to have people who take an interest in, in you, you know. Um, but the stakes do get higher. And I, I think the fear of being fired is less than the fear of the show not working or as a showrunner uh not having scripts and the the big fear of having to shut down production um you have fears about how the show will do when it comes out though those that even changes the further you get in your career because um, you know one of the things that you know in thinking about coming on this podcast i was thinking about the concept of failure and um i was thinking about my failed shows which we'll talk about but i what i've one thing i've learned is that you have to enjoy the process of making of doing this because most of what you do isn't going to work out or a lot of what you do won't work out and if you don't enjoy the process of writing and making stuff and making new friends and collaborating it and all you're focused on is the end result being successful you're in for a lot of pain potentially can can you elaborate a little bit on when you the quote unquote failed shows you've been on a lot of big shows why do you think some of these shows failed well, let me start, you know, with a show I co-created called Star Trek Enterprise, which I really enjoyed doing and I'm very proud of. But it was 
came under heavy fire at the time because Star Trek had been on at that point for, you know, f- 15 straight years or something. Um, there were almost a thousand episodes. People were like, why do we need another one of these shows? And, and the show was heavily criticized by, you know, a lot of fans. And I wouldn't call that a failure, but it was, it was, it was hard because, you know, it's hard, you know, you want to please the fans, you want to please your audience. And now it's so, it's very interactive. You know, you can't ignore what people are saying on the internet it's actually really valuable to hear what people are saying. So I wouldn't call that a failure, but it was the first time in my career that I was getting heavy flack. I, it was the show I did after that, um, which was called Threshold, which was uh, in uh, 2005, that was, was a, I guess, a, a traditional failure that it only aired for 13 episodes before it was canceled. Um, and that was on your network, Noah, CBS. And um, and there were many, there are all sorts of reasons I think that that failed. I'm not sure what aspect of failure you guys want to talk about. Well, I'd like to ask one about, so Star Trek. So obviously it's a huge franchise it has very engaged fans and there've been enough episodes that some of them possibly think they know more about what characters may or may not do or what to write than the people in the room um they certainly feel like they have that and also the world of social media has changed a lot from obviously the beginning of star trek through to you know where we are today when you're in the room writing how much are you thinking about sort of obviously you've got to think about the notes you're going to get from the studio but how much are you thinking about the notes you're going to get from the fans and how much do you talk about what they might think and does that influence things and change things and add pressure well on star trek is a special case in that when i worked on the franchise we didn't get studio notes or very rarely that we get any studio notes at all. The show was successful and they kind of left us alone and it was this its own thing. Um, but in the room, you know, we didn't talk about the audience a lot, though we would pay attention to the audience reactions to things, but it's, I, it would be hard to say, in a room when you're discussing a particular idea or episode, what do you think the fans will think of this? Mm. It's, it's, I think that's kind of coming at something from the outside in when I, I tend to write from the inside out. And if I'm in the reality of the story and the characters and what would they do? And I'm not thinking about the outside world at that point. Mm. And in terms of, as you say, when you're creating it, but you, but you, are aware of their feedback um, and have you been not that you necessarily argue with the fan but have you been sort of hurt by feedback that you've had in terms of obviously something you know there'll always be people who think things are bad and whatever but something that somebody's written that or said that's cut you deep because it's <laughs> not just you know, a bit of fan feedback. It's something more, it's deeper than that for you. 
Well, it's all, it's all, you know, it is hard. I've gotten so, uh, I've developed a very thick skin when it comes to, to fan criticism. Um, it can be very harsh at times. And it always hurts to some degree, you know, particularly if it's coming from a source that I know and respect, um, you know, the most recent case being, uh, let's say, the Orville, the last season three of the Orville, which we were really proud of and thought objectively was good. And when I would, there weren't a lot of negative reviews, but when I read something critical, I was just uh, surprised, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's like I thought it was good. Someone doesn't like it. Um, it was never easy to read criticism. Um, some of it gets really nasty and profane, and that's stuff you just kind of try to ignore. But um, it, it's, I'm just grateful to still be talking about stuff I did 30 years ago. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm still, I'm happy to still be here at all. We had Jeffrey Lieber come on talking about his solar work. Have you been able to write your soul's work in in the things you've done so far? Or is there still that project out there that's your soul's work that's on a shelf that you're still pitching, that you're still striving? That's a really great question. And I think about that all the time. I think about, you know, showrunner creators. You can I always felt like they there was that one show, that one show, that soul's work as you call it. Like David Chase, it, it was the Sopranos. Had to be. That was his soul's work. Um, and there are many examples I could probably point to. I'm not sure they would agree necessarily. And, uh, for me, I feel like uh, not, no, not quite yet. I mean, I don't, the honest answer is close, but not fully, completely. I feel like there's something that I have left to do. I'm not sure what it is, but I mean, I've been super lucky. Um, I think moving into the realm of, from, from science fiction into science with my work on Cosmos was perhaps the, mo the most deeply gratifying and, and came the closest to something that really spoke to me. Given where you are career-wise in terms of success compared to where you, you were earlier, when, when you're deciding what to do next, either to accept a project that someone's offered you or what to take out to pitch, because you are in the rarefied air of having the success you've had, do you find your decision-making process is, you know, how do I get close to my soul's work? Uh, more than maybe it was before. And, you know, are you turning down things now because you don't have to do them financially at all to get the extra credits that you've got from other places? So you're being much more selective? Well, first of all, I always hate turning stuff down because I feel like it might be the last thing, you know. <laughs> it's and And I can generally get excited about you know, most things. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I have to, I'm at a point 
in my career where I have to start kind of thinking about how many things I have time for. You know, how much, how many more projects can I really do? So I, I am pretty selective. Um, and there are, are a couple of projects I really hope happen um, that I can't mention at the moment, unfortunately, but um, would be amazing. Um, so I, I do tend to focus on what I really want to, you know, what is it I really want to do? Um, and I, I haven't done everything I really want to do. There are projects that haven't been made yet that I still would like to make. And they may never get made. I don't know. Is, is, is While we're on the subject, is there a, a project? I know, I know you mentioned there's something that you can't mention, but is there a project or a situation or a phase in your career that you sort of can't shake that keeps you up at night where it's just that one thing that went went wrong or the one project that went sideways well yeah i think that would be terra nova um which was a, a, a on by all appearances an amazing project that i got to meet meet and even work to some small degree with steven spielberg it was a high concept science fiction show um big budget, big fancy show. Um, and I just feel like um, it it just didn't really work. It was kind of kind of a mess to be honest for all sorts of reasons. but one of I can only speak to my part in it. Um, I'm not entirely sure I was behind the idea those it was a a great concept by a writer I'm friends with named Kelly Marcel, a great screenwriter. And, um, but I never really, it was a project, speaking of turning things down, that had come my way twice before in different stages. Um, Terra Nova is a project that came to me twice and I turned it down both times. Uh, one, it was a script at one time, it was a story treatment at another because I didn't, um, I felt it was a concept I couldn't quite wrap my head around, which is people from a dystopic future, dystopian future travel back to the Cretaceous area, Cretaceous area to restart humanity. And I thought, how do you do dinosaurs on a TV budget? And I don't, this just seems huge. And um, the third time it came to me, Spielberg was now attached. And I was like, well, I don't know that I entirely creatively am bonding with this idea, but I'm going to do it. I want to meet Steven Spielberg. I want to um, do the, the studio wants me to do this and I'm going to do it. Um, then came the issue of it being a straight to series order, which at the time was a somewhat new, newer idea. And I learned all the lessons I learned on that show the hard way. I would apply to future straight to series orders. <laughs> but for me, it was the first time. And when you're trying to rewrite a pilot, assemble a, be in pre-production on a huge pilot, assemble a writing staff and start writing episodes and pitching to the studio, all at the same time when normally those steps are, are separate steps over time, if you don't know, if you don't have your shit completely together, it's it, it's going to be a, a mess. And I did not have my shit completely together. 
what what happens on all of this now in this phase of your career when you get a note that you don't agree with? Can you? I mean, you've done more TV than than most people have in their career, and definitely most executives have at this point. How do you kind of relay that? you have a fear that the note might work or that the direction that's going might not work because based on things that you've seen in the past. Well, first of all, on Terra Nova, the studio, I, I learned that if you, and, and I learned rather late and I was spoiled on Star Trek, you know, the first 15 years of my career were on Star Trek in a very kind of hermetically sealed environment. Like I, I didn't get notes from the studio. Um, on 24 i didn't get you know they weren't really giving a lot of notes um on terra nova i learned you have to you all have to see the same show or you're screwed the studio network and spielberg's camp all saw different shows pretty radically different kinds of shows and the one I came on board with was Spielberg's, which was a, a darker in tone and much more of a, 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 a tense thriller. And the network wanted a family-friendly kind of colorful show with standalone stories, not a continuous storyline. And I don't remember what the studio wanted. And so I was getting notes from three different place sources with that were conflicting. And I just wasn't in a headspace that I could, you know, what I needed to do was follow my path. And I was trying to please everybody, I think. And that was a, a mess. So what I, the way I handle notes is I listen to, I, I look at every single note that's given. And I, and I give it its fair consideration, every one of them. And if it's a good note, I'm going to do it. If it's a note that is, debatable but i can do it in a way that helps the show turn it into something you know address it maybe in a different way than they might be expecting and if it's a note i really do disagree with i'm going to push back where do you sit in terms of you've obviously through your career worked with some extraordinary extraordinarily talented people um and obviously, give you on because you were on big successful shows early. You've had a chance to learn from people. When you first became a leader yourself and moved into leadership positions as sort of showrunner, show creator, what what are the main things that you took away from your formative experiences that shaped you? How would you describe your leadership style as a result? Well, my leadership style when I first became a showrunner is different than it is now. Um, when I first started, it was on a show called Star Trek Voyager in, the, I think, the fourth season. Um, it was uh, terrifying. I, I actually didn't aspire to be a showrunner. They, they some they started making comments about me taking over the show, and I, that came out of the blue for me. I, it's nothing I indicated I wanted to do. Um, I was excited to do it. Um, the main, you know, look, I wanted it to be 
I could do anything I wanted to do because it was my show, kind of my vision now. And so I was excited about that, but I was also, you know, terrified of how am I going to get 20, because we did 26 episodes a year, how am I going to get 26 hours of television written in such a short period of time? (laughs) You know, I remember thinking, would I have a finger cut off if I could have those scripts appear on my desk? Um, So in some ways, uh, my style was really hunkered down non-stop writing rewriting um i think i was a little less collaborative at first because i was so paranoid just about getting everything done um i probably did more rewriting than i really needed to and um and uh i became a more collaborative showrunner as time went on you know the experience of being terrified We've heard other people say the same. Um, and you, know, you said that you maybe weren't collaborative enough. Did anything go horribly wrong or nearly go horribly wrong in those early days of being a showrunner? Because either circumstances and bad things happen to good people or because of mistakes you made. I mean, look, in, in my second year of running the, the show, um, uh, my dear my dear friend Ronald D. Moore came aboard and we were close collaborators and we just, and he came aboard the show and we just right off the bat, weren't getting along. It's like Cain and Abel or something. And he ended up leaving, quitting the show. It just, it wasn't working out. Um, I take full blame. I felt threatened. I, I looking back, I think I was, um, I don't know what I was thinking. So I, it was, it was just, that was, you know, Ron and I are, are past it now. And um, I have nothing but profound love and gratitude for Ron uh, to Ron, but that was a brutal situation, you know, and I, I consider it my, one of my greatest personal failures, Um, you know, being so insecure in my position that I would feel threatened by a former, a former collaborator. So. Is, is there any, and that's a fascinating answer. Thank you so much. Uh, both of you guys have created some of the best science fiction the modern era has seen, but uh, what, um, anything that keeps you up at night right now, and that's not necessarily about your own writing, but the state of the industry as a subject. I think there's a part of me that always fears um, if I'm going to be able to keep doing this. I I feel so now more than ever at this stage in my career, I realize how lucky I am. And no, perhaps you feel the same way. I'm doing what I love to do. People sometimes will ask, what do you have any hobbies? I'm like, well, this is my hobby. I mean, if this, I'm every aspect of my job is some something I love doing. Um, whether it's the f- production or editing or writing, I love all of it, and I'm paid to do it, and I just feel so incredibly lucky. So I, I think 
if something keeps me up at night, I think it's just that little insecure voice saying, "Are you? How long? How long are they going to let you keep doing this?" Because <laughs> I'd, I'd, you know, I'd do it as long as possible. I'm glad that you brought up that this is the greatest job on the planet because we spend our 99 episodes or something talking about all how hard it is this, these jobs are and how uh, miserable it can make some people. Yet there's moments when you're in it when they're shooting something or you're doing something, or for me, I'm in Hawaii and I get to make a TV show in Hawaii. I get to, you know, you pinch yourself going, Holy <laughs> like what, like, like this is the coolest thing in the entire world. You mentioned, you know, uh, in your answer, last answer about sort of just longevity and you've had a really long career. What, what do you see yourself doing in the next five to 10 years in regards to, you know, projects you're taking out where you you said your interest has gone from sort of science fiction to science. Like, where do you see yourself moving towards? I would like very much to keep doing uh, science-based shows um, in a, in addition to drama-based. Um, I would love the Oroville to keep going. We, we're still waiting for word on that. Um, whether that's going to happen, I would like to do another season. It's Seth and I would like to do another season of that. Um, I've got some science projects in the works. That's it. That's an important thing. I I really want to keep going i enjoy doing it and i enjoy doing something uh educational um and um and i want to keep also uh directing uh when i first got into the business i wanted to be a movie director and it it took me a while to start directing you know i didn't start directing till about 10 years ago and um i like doing it it's really fun. It's uh, it's really really fun to do, and especially you know, it's it's getting harder to hand off the concept of handing off your script to another director while you watch them work. Why not just do it yourself? You know. So I'm hoping that continues. You said, I think, right at the beginning that when you wanted to get into the industry, you wanted to be in movies because it was. I don't think you used the word sexier, but a version of it, it's sexier than TV. And then obviously you've had an extraordinary career around TV. Um, in terms of how you see how TV sort of come closer to movies in the last few years, in terms of obviously the budgets, the actors, the audience and, and so on, is the reason you've done so much TV because TVs became more movie-like or is it, because TV actually wasn't what you thought it was and is the place that is right for you. TV is, TV is, I love both, but there came, there kind of came a point, you know, right after I did Mission Impossible 2, I was in the movie world. Like I had done a couple of really successful movies. And so I was a screenwriter I and I was getting job offers and I was, doing rewrites here, you know, paid rewrites here and there. And I really was at a point where um, I could have pursued that. I don't know how, what long-term success I would have had, but I went back to TV full-time and I didn't work on another movie for, for years. And it just, at that time, I can't speak to now, um, uh, a, a movie writer, unless you're Tony Kushner or something, you know, you you were 
you weren't treated the same way. And the you know, in TV, I'm the I was the boss, and I like being a writer on television better. You know, it's it had nothing to do with money or glamour. Certainly, TV has changed. You know, when I first started uh, in the business, I remember you know George Clooney couldn't get off ER fast enough, and the concept of a movie star being on a TV show was unfathomable. And uh, obviously, that's changed. And I'm really happy about it because TV really is an amazing art form. Yeah. It saddens me enormously, as it often does, that we're now near the end of the podcast and the beginning. And I have to ask the final question, which we ask every guest, which is, if you could give a single piece of advice to somebody wanting to enter the industry, what would that single piece of advice be? Collaborate. And that has several meanings. One, if you're struggling to get a piece written on your own, find a find a partner. Um, writing with a partner is fun if it's the right person. Um, don't it doesn't have to be uh, totally solitary and give your material to other people to read if you have written it yourself uh get some get some opinions on it um ideally you could get yourself into a collaborative environment with other writers so i i was in writing interns that was a great entree point um my one of my most one of my former assistants who was my assistant for several years, uh, is Terry Metalis, who is now running Star Trek Picard. And um, is a very, is a successful showrunner himself. And I, I, I think it was extremely beneficial that he was my assistant, just in terms of not necessarily learning things, uh, but making connections. And if, you know, be around other writers if you can. Yeah. Oh, that's a great answer. Look, uh, Brandon Bragger, thank you very much indeed for... I feel like we didn't talk enough about failing, but... All right. Well, no, we a... can... Look, I'm not, I've never... <laughs> if, if you've got a good story of a failure, we're not no, going no, to stop I've, you. I've, I've said enough. <laughs> um, but no, well, no, the problem is sometimes our guests are too successful, so we can't find enough failures. But thank you. <laughs> they're, all, they're always there. <laughs> Thank you very much for being part of our podcast. Thanks, guys. It's a cool podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of Screaming Into the Hollywood Abyss. As always, this, this episode was brought to you by Scriptation, the screen writing and annotation software that at the very least has made my life easier and will make your life easier as well. Uh, we'd like to thank our wives who put up with us recording these episodes in our offices and basements and closets and bathrooms and anywhere we can get a little space to record an interview. And of course, we want to thank James Launch who provided us with the great intro and outro music. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, you can find Noah at nevslin on Twitter, tweeting a variety of writer-based nonsense and uh, some terrible puns and occasionally begging for sponsorship uh, if you want more refined tweets mostly about football and whiskey you can find me at Dan Rutstein 
If you're interested in buying a copy of Scriptation, if you go to www.scriptation.com backslash Sitha, S-I-T-H-A, you will receive a special discount. Thank you very much for listening. As always, we appreciate you. Uh, Please give us any feedback, mostly positive stuff about me, and we will see you next week. And if you do say a negative thing about Dan, there is a chance I might buy you a free copy of Scriptation.